Captain Oliver Hayes here of the SV Dreamcatcher. Well, formerly of the SV Dreamcatcher. Acting captain of the Nomo 2. In the middle of the night, there was a storm. A massive storm. It swallowed our ship whole, spitting out only splinters of wood. Our sails ripped first, then our anchor chain was pulled apart. We were sent spinning onto a sharp outcropping, which breached our hull. We had seconds to grab food and supplies and board our life raft as the water forced its way into our ship, motivated by the pummeling of the storm waves. We rowed as hard as we could, and we were able to make it to the Nomo too. My crew and I took stock of what supplies we had, and I have to say that prospects are grim. We have only enough food for two weeks, if we ration it out, and no way to leave the island. Our emergency radio isn't functioning, only static returns when we issue distress calls. I don't know what we're going to do, but at least we have the ship, the Nomo 2. It may not be functional, but I am sure there are supplies on board somewhere. I've decided to keep reading the log, at least for now. It'll distract from our current situation. Captain Edward Banks, MV Nomo 2, January 12, 1943. It is said that dreams are the way that the subconscious communicates with the human mind, that no matter how strange they are, they always have a meaning. I'm not sure about this one. I was sitting, no, laying down, frozen, stuck, staring at the wall opposite. Suddenly, a blinding blue flash as it subsided a glow, intruding through the porthole beside my bed. I strained to see what was there. It was similarly colored to what I had seen the first night, the light in the water, but different. It was brighter and clearer and otherworldly. I couldn't move, couldn't see. I cried out, but suddenly I was above my body, staring down at the sleeping mass. I was floating but still frozen and paralyzed, scared. With intention, I strained to move my neck. My body began to shake in the bed below, violently. I tried as hard as I could to move, and finally, after an eternity, my view shifted. I was looking directly out the window. I could finally see it. The light, the flash, the shadow. There was a man, but not a man, not human in the slightest. A crest above the head, ribbed fins lining the back, 
large eyes. He glowed. Iridescently. He radiated light in every direction, bright blue and blinding. The world felt hot like it was burning. I saw him, it, reach out an arm. The world began to shake. The air vibrated with the high-pitched whine. The thing pushed its hand to the glass and, akin to water, it parted, moved, opened. He, it, crawled through my window. Drops of water like glass falling to the floor around the figure, now standing in my quarters. It looked directly at my sleeping body, which had now fallen still from its earliest tremors. It walked on backwards bowed legs, like an insect, with blue webbed feet. It turned its head, now staring into my field of vision, where I was floating. It held up its hand, flat and palm facing upwards. Its fingers were long and spindly, and there were six of them instead of five. Folds of skin sat at the base of each finger, and with a snap of its hand the creature was equipped with webbed paddles. It was as if the creature was trying to show off, for it quickly retracted its webs, and turned to stare at my sleeping body. It clenched its fist, and all of a sudden the body on the bed began writhing again. I could feel my body's pain, too, as if I were in two places at once. It was a white hot burning sensation, like I was being immersed in boiling water, stabbed all over with a thousand knives. I screamed out, but I was suddenly drowning, breathing liquid, gasping for breath that would not come. The creature swiftly drove the fist into my sleeping body, and the world was at once silent. I was in my bed, now awake from the nightmare, breathing heavily, covered in sweat. I turned the lamp near my bed and checked the time. 1.12 a.m. I looked down at myself and was shocked to see a purple welt in the center of my chest. It throbbed painfully and the skin was tender to the touch. Tendrils of red snaked out from it and all over my body and I realized that this was the place where the creature had hit my sleeping body in the dream. I gasped. There must have been at least some truth to the dream then. The vision that I had. It couldn't have just been my subconscious. I lied awake for the rest of the night, red-eyed from fear when the first morning light appeared on the horizon. I stepped out of my bed, crossing the room, when I stepped on what felt like a handful of marbles and fell to the ground. Cursing, I looked to the ground to see what had caused me to fall. I paled when I saw the tiny glass beads, almost like droplets the ones that had fallen from the creature in the dream, which I'm not so sure was a dream. I inspected the porthole, and the glass was warped, magnifying and shrinking the view in different areas by casting a rainbow sheen across the panorama. It hadn't looked like this the day before. I looked around my cabin for what else was different, but couldn't spot anything. I washed my face and dressed myself staring blankly forward. Who do I tell? What do I do? Was... Am I in danger? I went to make my bed, and I found it. Underneath my pillow, a blue, iridescent key. The same material that the blade of the can opener was made of. Now a logo as well, but not the trestle logo. Stamped upon the key was a capital letter N, in serif font, with a circle around it. The circle was made to look like a compass rose, 
but there were three wavy lines going behind and through it. Strange. I'd never seen this key or any like it before, but I think I knew where it went. I'm sitting at my desk now. I've alerted the bridge that I won't be up today, that I am sick. I have the can opener in front of me, sucking in heat as always, fog shifting off of its cold surface. I turn the combination lock that I discovered yesterday, putting in the code I know to be 1112. The compartment pops open as it had last time, as I was expecting, and the dials sit ready. I bring the key closer, unsure, and the can opener seems to shake or hum, almost anticipating the key. I place it into the keyhole on the right side, and of course, it fits. Was the creature from my dream trying to help me? The panel lights up, the indicator on the side turning from red to green. What could this device possibly do? I fiddle around with the buttons and dials, not sure which date to set or what happens when I turn the key. I decide on the date January 8th, 1943, the first day of our voyage, the day when, presumably, all of this started. All right, I'm going to turn the key and see what this can opener really does. I suppose I should write something in case something happens to me, but oh well, I can't think of anything. Here it goes. Turn the key now. It's shaking. The blade is glowing blue, brighter and brighter, just like the creature from my dream, and just like the light that I saw under the sea. It's rising into the air now, above my desk, humming, no, shrieking. The world feels very hot, and... That's it? That's the end? There's nothing more? Oliver Hayes again. There aren't any missing pages here. There's no damaged section. The journal just stops there. This can't be the end. I wonder, though. Hold on. The navigation log. Yes, very formal. It only contains dates, speeds, and directions, so I haven't read it. But here, yes. Captain Missing. Acting Captain Nigel Briggs. So he was gone. Just like that. Whoa! What was that? Are we... Oh my god. The ship is off the sandbar. We're floating out to sea. I've got to go... Thanks for listening to Oceanbound, a podcast produced by Soren Ficklin. All music is original. To listen to our soundtrack, go to bit.ly slash oceanboundsound. That's bit.ly slash oceanboundsound.
Dorian Productions.